Why do we go down this tangent? <laughs> you definitely put me on the spot. Welcome to Why Cold ID, the youth cultural identity program by young women discussing current issues and gender disparity in the sound production industry. Be the one who made the collective vision come to fruition. Brought to you by the Department of Communities and Justice, River FM and the Art House. It's a long way to the shop if you want a sausage roll. Oh! Hi and welcome to Why Cult ID, brought to you by the Department of Communities and Justice and River FM and the Art House. I'm Janelle and I'm here with Rosa. Hi Rosa. Hi. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for coming on. All good. Yep. So, Rosa, you identify as a trans person. Yes. And I've been actually hoping to have uh, young trans identifying as, do you identify as a woman? Yes, or? I do. Yeah. And so Why Cult ID was funded by the Department of Communities and Justice to address the gender disparity in the sound production industry. And so I have been uh, putting it out there for somebody who identifies as female to come along as well because unfortunately I don't know the statistics on how many trans people are in the sound production industry but we can say that 95% are cisgendered men and of that a large percentage white men so out of that 5% there'd be an even smaller percentage of trans people maybe we should look into finding that out in the future definitely yeah but tell us about your uh situation how old are you and how did you come across realising that you were trans? Right, well, I'm 16 and um, a few months before I turned 14, um, I started, like, dressing femininely because I was just like, oh, this just, like, seems right. And then I asked my friend to use she, her pronouns for me and mm-hmm. I guess that kind of spiralled into me being like, oh, I guess this is how it is now. I'm just a woman and I prefer that much more than I do being a man. So for three years you've been wearing women's clothes? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so at what point was it just not... So was there a little t- amount of time when at the age of 13 you would sometimes wear men's clothes and sometimes wear women's clothes? Or uh, just I mean, I still do, but I guess um, if I have the choice, obviously I'm going to dress more femininely. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And so you have long hair for our listeners out yeah. there who can't can't see Rosa. But um, how do you go with things like, for instance, the obvious differences like your voice or something like that? Is Do you still find that's something that doesn't wash well with you? Would you uh, like to change that? Yeah, or? I do want to, like, start voice training, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure, like, how I would start. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And so, and feel free not to answer this if you wish, it's entirely up to you. But um, if you do, are you starting the hormone replacement stuff or? Uh, I have not, but that is definitely something I would like to begin doing. And that should change your voice as well. Um, I have heard that um, hormones don't change your voice. They would like a little bit, but not a whole heap. Yep. Yeah, it's more really just 
voice training. Okay, well, there you yeah. go. I learned something. Now, let's have that conversation about what age should somebody think about having the hormone replacement therapy because that's hugely yeah. the question on a lot of parents' lips at the moment. It's certainly on the uh, radar of a lot of religious and right-wing crazy groups um, where that they have that one argument, which I'm sure you're aware of. And so... I'll just express to you what I said to you earlier about before I understood the anatomy around um, how hard it is to transition post-puberty because of these hormones and how much more successful and maybe natural would be the word to use it is to transition before puberty or going through puberty. Um, I was of the opinion that only adults should be allowed to make this decision because I feel as though a young person hasn't got their brain fully developed Mm. to be able to um, make those decisions. But then I sort of changed it around a bit once I was more aware of the science behind it. What's what's your opinion on that? I guess, yeah, I can definitely see the argument for someone being like over 18 or 21. Mm -hmm. Um, Only then you're allowed to um, get on hormones and that. But I guess... Definitely not, like, younger than 13. I feel like that's definitely still a... Um, maybe a little too young, I guess. Because mm-hmm. maybe at that age, you're still just, like... I don't want to say figuring stuff out, but I guess being more yourself, I guess. I- I'm mm-hmm. not sure, but I guess someone, like, my age, like, 15 or 16, then they can definitely, like, speak with psychologists and stuff to see if they can um get on hormone replacement therapy yeah and i suppose before the age of 13 it doesn't matter that much in regards to physiology yeah because they could still very much be trans in their mind because the hormones haven't kicked in yet and and that's a psychological issue so we did speak about the difference of whether or not you think it's a dna thing a genetic thing Mm. or if it is purely an environmental thing um, so hereditary versus environment, what, what do you think? Um, yeah, definitely, like I was saying, um, I guess someone isn't born like gay or trans, um, more like it's a figuring out kind of process, mm-hmm. but like I guess like the way your parents act and stuff is definitely... Um, just everyone in in general around you um, would definitely be like a big effect. Like if people are homophobic or whatever, then maybe you would try to like repress that and like be in the closet or whatever. Mm. Um, I think there's all things above because there's also that oppositional defiance disorder where some people might just try to be the opposite of what their parents want, which is also not a reason to be um, trans or gay. But um, there's... Whilst I agree with you because of the twin experiment, you can often have tw- pair of twins that are d- their DNA is exactly the same, but one will be gay and one won't. I don't know the stats around trans on that one, actually. I haven't looked at any studies on that one, but uh, it is therefore by default a, a choice. But the question is, is it an actual choice? Because sometimes the right-wing argument with choice is that you can choose to be something else. Yeah, exactly. And I don't agree with that. I, yeah. think, I think if you're going to be true to self, even though it might be a physiological or psychological choice, 
it's still something that you can't choose not to be. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's certainly where I sit with it. So let's talk about some of the inclusion that you've experienced with this decision that you've made and conversely some of the discrimination. Mm. Yeah. So who's been really nice to you and and maybe gives an example of somebody who's been supportive? I guess just like a lot of my friends, including my online friends, like people are really like chill about it. Obviously they aren't like mean about it. They don't say anything, I guess, that could be even like arguably transphobic or anything. They don't make like weird jokes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's like obviously a positive thing. Yeah. What sort of online platforms are you talking about? Do you do gaming or... Oh, uh, yeah, like yeah. Twitter, Discord, okay. just games in general. Yeah. Now, d- explain Discord to us again. I've only had one other person who was who mentioned that um, and I'm not familiar with it. It's a gaming platform chat? Uh, right? Yeah, basically. It was originally um, a social media uh, like for gamers, by gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the layout is kind of similar to Slack. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, but For our listeners out there who don't know what Slack <laughs> is either, is um, it is a platform, but it's a, a working um, business yeah. m- uh, discussion platform. So you basically have on your left all of your um, participants, and the then there's a there's a channel and, and there's a stream, yeah. and yeah, and people can be added or taken away depending exactly. on if they're working for you or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Mm. Uh, but like, it's just everyone in general uses it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I I was familiar with an old concept. I don't know if it still exists. Is IP two? Have you heard of IP two? Maybe. Yeah, it was a gaming. Uh, so it came off two chan, which then became four chan. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so these are the original platforms that gamers would use. Mm-hmm. But then I believe two um, chan got in trouble or something because it became too right wing. Yeah. And it was just a platform for hate speech. Mm. And then then it became 4chan and then there was that whole QAnon thing that became mm. something else. But IP2 was initially for a whole bunch of um, cisgendered white men that were living in their mother's basements <laughs> and, and started to hate women because they couldn't understand why uh, women would... In cells. Because they couldn't understand why women didn't want to be with them. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, can't you come and sit beside me whilst exactly. I play on my computer? Involuntarily celibate. Yeah, yeah. And and so then th- some bright spark had an idea that they'll get them all together and put them in a camper van and they'll go around America. And then th- and that was whilst um, videos becoming, you know, more like f- v- filming yourself, more of yeah. that kind of selfie generation. And anyway, they would just do stupid stuff like teenage boys in a van together on a road trip so it was all about um pranking and and that's when that swatting com um oh yeah yes yeah so we know about doxing Mm. yeah do you want to explain to our listeners who might not so doxing is basically releasing private information that isn't you know usually supposed to be public like someone's home address their Mm -hmm. phone number their full legal name and that just releasing that to the public for no real reason and then swatting happened because... Of doxing. Yeah. Which is um, sending or just like calling up uh, the police or something saying that this person's done some horrible thing, like murdered someone, yeah. being like at this address with this name. And then the police go there, like a full riot team and that. They just burst down the door and it's just like, hey, what's your problem? And, yeah. you know, yeah. get like arrested in that. 
Yeah, so initially what I watched from a documentary was that some bright spark on the computer had an idea that this person's beating them in the game. So if they order a pizza, the person has to get off the computer and go go to the door, get the pizza, and they can win the game. Oh, yeah. Like as simple as innocent and mm. whatever is that. But then it escalated into, oh, let's call the SWAT team. Yeah. And then next minute it's America, somebody's been shot. Yeah. Because some kid wants to win a computer game, which is just... Absolutely ridiculous. Mm. I know we're going off topic, but what I did want to say is that maybe Discord is the split-off channel, the more left-wing channel of IP2 because it's become very right-wing, incel, sort of men-hating women. That kind of treat and mean to keep them keen, all that kind of toxic masculinity Mm. that's still very prevalent in our society. But have you found any of that on Discord? Um, yeah, obviously, like, there is a lot of, um, obviously, like, right-wing, conservative, just, like, horrendous people on Discord. But you can find that everywhere, really, if you look hard enough. Yeah, Discord is mainly, from what I've seen, of course, because obviously I don't want to go looking for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because I want to, you know, like, enjoy my time on the internet, of course. Yeah. But, um... It is usually like a lot of accepting people mm-hmm. of all like kinds of people like religion, race and yeah. sexuality and that. So how do you combat having to associate on these platforms where people are often anonymous and they do feel freer to um, spread hate speech? hate speech what's what's your tricks and i usually just take the piss out of them right yeah you're not the first to have said that because i've asked this question to the other participants and some mm. of them quite young girls um, oh yeah and cisgendered young girls which are often targeted by your dirty we call them dirty mm. old lurker dudes that's right? fair enough yeah um and they and they're generally in a um anonymous fashion often as a young girl or something so They've said exactly the same. They'll mm. either take the piss out of them or ignore them. Yeah, exactly. But the thing they're supposed to do is actually go and tell a parent mm. or, and the parent's supposed to inform the authorities. Yeah. But, okay, so how do you identify? Because sometimes these people can be quite um, subtle in, mm. their, in their inclusion of what they're saying to you until they're trying. Yeah. It's almost, I don't know if it's a grooming or if it's a, a fishing where they're, they're trapping you in until they can go bang and really hurt you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what have you had that happen? Um, No, luckily. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, like, everyone that does it, like, is kind of, like, says about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So if you read, like, I guess a bunch of texts from, like, groomers and people who have been groomed, it's all kind of similar. Yeah. So, yeah, if you just read, like, a lot of that, then maybe it could, like, help you to, I guess, not get groomed or something. Yeah, and is there a difference between grooming in a trans society than there is in a cis society? Um, Have you noticed any of that? I guess just maybe people, like, um, I guess a common thing would just be, like, over-complimenting or something, maybe. Or, like, chases. What's a chaser? Um, someone who is uh, usually just like a cis man who is really, really into trans women specifically. Right. And like fetishizes them a lot. Okay. And they're called mm. chasers. Yeah. There you go. I've learned something new already. <laughs> Got to know these catchphrases. And then also just to go really off topic because this has nothing to do with gender at all. Um, bots. AI bots. Mm. So I only just last week got told by the young participants that there's actually bots that are trying to groom them online for data and stuff. Really? Have you, have you noticed that? I, I think I've definitely heard of that, but no. I've never seen one of them. Or heard. Or, yeah, 
engaged with because yeah, yeah. because um I was like how the how would you know the difference if it was an AI bot or a yeah. human? Let alone how do you know if that human is a you know forty year old cisgendered mm. white male or a thirteen year old girl or you know sixteen year old trans person <laughs> right? Because they're obviously not. But yeah, so all these little tools and tricks that your generation is having to learn, it's quite daunting from somebody mm. my age. But it, like, would you like prefer a society where that didn't exist? Or you I mean, yeah, but um, at some point you just kind of. Uh, I don't want to say get used to it, but just like more get accustomed and like uh, figure out how to deal with that kind of stuff. How to navigate mm. through that kind of life. It's, it's sorry, I'm looking at the to our listeners. I'm looking at with such concern because, as I've said to a lot of my other participants, I'm probably the last generation when I was a young girl that didn't have smartphones. So mm. yes, okay, I'm not that old. The br- <laughs> the bricks existed. Mm-hmm. The the you know text only yeah. phones but the smartphones didn't and the smartphones really flipped the switch didn't they absolutely in, yeah and so like the blackberries and the nokia's mm, nokia was the one i had yeah and so um so then of course not only have you got the prevalence of porn and and mm. therefore younger people having access to it because you know Basically, you have to press a button that says, yes, I'm 18. Yeah, exactly. How's that? There's um, no, like, yeah. way for them to just, I guess, prove that they're 18. Mm. Like, ev- everyone's lied about their age at some point. Yeah, yeah. And so, whilst I can't talk to a lot of my younger participants about this, I think 16 plus is all right. Uh, and for our listeners, um, this might get a little bit uh, intense and, you, you know, by all means, make your decision on whether you want to keep listening to this. But I'm going to ask from a trans lens, what does it look A, look like and B, feel like to have such access to such visual mediums and how that affects your sexuality and what you think you should have to be right for instance so mm. i've asked this to the young girls because only fans is presenting a highly sexual sexualized female form that's very um voluptuous like hourglass figure yes and no like i was watching um actually brook fit brook shields documentary um last night and that there's a very interesting feminist there that remarks that right up until the 1960s, the hourglass figure Marilyn Monroe, that was considered the um, ideal ideal body standard mm. and it was a very adult mm. body standard. And then in the um, late 60s, 70s with the feminist second wave feminism, which was about all that um, body rights, burn the bra, you know, mm. have hairy armpits, you don't have to be the perfect 50s housewife. Yeah. The argument this feminist lady was having is what the um, the powers that be, white cisgendered males did was they sexualized young girls, so that's where Brooke Fields Shields comes into it. She was at the age of eleven, I believe. She was on a film called Pretty Baby, which was about um, selling somebody's virginity at the age of eleven, right in the 1600s or something. But so it was, it was presented as a very art house film. Mm-hmm. And they got away with that kind of stuff back then, but they could not do it now. Oh, God, no. No. And so, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but what has now transitioned into that, which was basically pedophilia, and that's where the whole, those children are now 
women in their 30s and 40s, they were the ones that did the hashtag Me Too movement. Yeah. They brought Harvey Weinstein down. They, they just went, Hollywood is this toxic cesspool of sexualizing women, especially young women and girls. Mm. So, and then now we've moved on to, well, Hollywood doesn't even have that much power in regards to that. It's the internet, it's OnlyFans. And then you've got the Kardashians. So that body image is voluptuous but with a tiny little waist. Yeah. You know, which is almost, unless you do body modification, what is it, modification? Yeah. You cannot achieve that. Or like eating disorders. Yeah, exactly. Um, So what does that look like from a trans lens? Um... Yeah, like I was saying earlier, like a lot of fetishization and that comes into it. Um, and yeah, I guess a lot of people are saying like, oh, you have to be like perfect. You have to look super feminine and, that, and you have to like pass. But like obviously passing doesn't really mean anything because mm. you can always just like correct people, tell people, oh, like, hey, this what you said like wasn't right or anything mm-hmm. and if they have an issue with it well, then they can fucking deal with it yeah yeah and that's right because people are people and they're human beings and, exactly and most of those interactions that you're going to have of that nature would be in real life i imagine there might be some online but the the online lie i guess is that a lot of people are photoshopped anyway mm, exactly and so it but it, let's just talk about real life right now irl yeah not, see i got it i'm not that old <laughs> I, that was the first time i ever said not in irl okay and anyway so the um the idea that we have to be perfect especially as women being perfect that perfect mm. image yeah exactly a lot of guys will say well to me i can only use me as an example but will say to me um if only you knew what we actually find attractive in real life Mm. as opposed to that narrative that you've been sold online and and we we do like the imperfections or maybe we do like a bigger girl or um whatever their specific interest is and that we don't care about the pimple or the the scar right Mm. so yeah so i think that should be a very important sentence to say to a lot of trans people. Absolutely. Um, I, I can't really speak of... Yeah, hang on. I'll finish this sentence before I go on to the other one. I, I think as a woman to woman, I think it's really important for us older ladies to really reinforce that to you, that if anybody ever does say, oh, well, you're only a six, you're not a ten, mm. those kind of revolting yeah. social um, stereotypes you know, that, that that's probably more about how insecure they are. Yeah, definitely. And about how they have been taught from probably right-wing incels to... And, and what's their intention behind that too? Well, why would somebody want to make somebody they're attracted to feel lesser? I guess just, like, to be just mean for, like, I guess no reason or to make themselves seem more powerful like it could be like a misogynistic kind of thing Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah yeah and uh, because misogyny always confuses me yeah with why would you try and make somebody who you like like you by being mean to them yeah i don't get it like even in uh a degrading sense Mm because like that's a thing people enjoy um that's 
Like there, there is like a big difference between being like an asshole and just mm-hmm. obviously, I guess, getting off on it. Ah, uh, okay. So there could be a little bit of a reverse world getting off on it if this person still likes me after this mm. they must really like me yeah yeah well that's so sad and and that kind of mentality can then escalate into narcissism where people so a real narcissist will actually take away everybody else's friends their family yeah. their even the, their workplace to the point where that person just the only world is them yeah exactly and that's really unhealthy yeah it's absolutely yeah. awful yeah Okay, so, and then the other thing I was going to think about before was I wonder what it would feel like to be a girl transi- transitioning to men, to a man, and then how they think other girls look at them and their sexuality. Like, do they think, I'm going to grow this mass- moustache because that's going to make me all manly man-man? Mm-hmm. Hmm, I suppose you can't speak of that. but I I'm, mean, yeah. I'm very interested in it. <laughs> mm, perhaps even... This is a platform for women and young girls and identifying. Perhaps we could even get on a trans man just to have True. that conversation so we can figure it out better. Do you reckon that's a good idea? Yeah, yeah okay. Maybe I'll, I'll invite someone on. All right, have we discussed everything we wanted to about... Oh, inclusion, that's right. I've got oh, one yeah. last question because it's getting a bit controversial now, but um, one of the large arguments about trans people when they're younger is that it's becoming really popular now yeah and so we don't want and it'd be ridiculous for somebody to go as far as full bottom surgery um to trans just to be popular but do you think there is um a space in the world for trans people where they just want to be considered special and different and conversely what would you like to see a world where total inclusion the same as race gender religion all of those what what do you think would be a better mm. world for you um this is gonna be in like insane comparison like absolutely mm-hmm. but um i guess uh i'll, I'll go into it later um mm-hmm. just only unisex toilets really like there okay. isn't really i guess a need for them to be um like male and female toilets yeah. So just like I guess only unisex ones and just like only have stalls really. Okay. Okay. So that's a good way for you to use a physical reality as a metaphor for how you'd like to see mm. inclusion. So there's no need for urinals. No need. Yeah. No. And what is that about? Obviously, I'm not a man. I've never been one. I've never had to use. Oh, I've used a sheepy once. Actually, I did. I used sheepy at Glastonbury. And there was actually a practical reality to it. I must admit, you know the reason why you never see guys lining up out of the toilet at a festival or you're probably too young for clubs and pubs, but is because of the urinal, right? Yeah. So I'm just going to throw in a red herring here and say, well, all right, well, maybe we could have unisex toilets, but we'll keep the urinal in yeah. there, but provide sheepies. So next minute you've got like someone like me standing next to a cisgendered white male and I'm like, you know, grabbing out the sheepy and just, yep, doing that because I haven't got time to wait around in the line. Yeah. I want to get back to the festival. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Have I, I mean, created an interesting visual your, your for you? are crazy. Like, standing up to <laughs> pee is insane. <laughs> it actually, you know what? I liked it 
There was one thing I didn't like, I really have to admit. What? Because you're not in stalls. I mean, you could probably... No, it does make you sit. Anyway. Um, you have to bear your bum. Do you? Yeah, kind of. Like, well, I suppose if you were wearing jeans, you could probably still get away with a sheepie, but they're pretty big sort of things. Like, you can't just... I mean, I've never used one, but... <laughs> no, no. All right, but we're getting into some um, kind of embarrassing and cute... Um, anatomy questions here but okay sorry listeners but you can't just like have jeans and flop it out you've got to basically pull your jeans down to put it under there to be able to pee right i mean so you've got to expose your bottom i've never used one but Mm. like i i think the last time i i guess pulled my pants down that far while Mm. i was like peeing Mm. i was probably like seven yeah right okay Mm. Right, well, anyway, that's... um. So, yes, the, okay, let's, uh, from a feminine perspective, it is nice to be able to have that privacy and to always be in a stall and even do the um, polite lady cough, <coughs> you know, all of that sort of stuff. But, no, I'd, I don't know. It, my quality is a little bit more inclusive in being such a raving feminist. I want to be able to do more manly stuff as well. Yeah. So... That's fair enough. It's an interesting urinal conversation, isn't it? Okay, what other inclusion, though? Let's get back to a bit more seriousness. So if you were in a workplace, for instance, we'll have we'll, we'll split this into two conversations because it's very relevant for the sports conversation. But if society sees you as a man, you see yourself as a woman, but you just go to have a normal job in a workplace... And then you find out from your best friend who's female that you're getting paid 30% more, which it would happen at this point in mm. society. How would you feel about that? What would you do? Um, I mean, obviously I'd be chuffed, like, whoa, I'm getting paid more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess, like, at the same time, the whole, like, yeah, the um, wage gap and that, obviously it, like, sucks. It's stupid. Mm. Like, there isn't really... There, there isn't a need for it. Like, there's no argument that can be made other than just, like, sexism. Yeah. But you, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there with your answer. And thank you for your honesty, by the way. Of course you'd be chuffed. <laughs> Would you have enough social conscience and humility to be able to go to your boss and say, guess what, I want a 30% pay reduction because I perceive myself to be female? Um, I mean, I guess, it, like depends kind of mm-hmm. like um that's a hard one i might give you yeah. a week to think about that <laughs> and also would you go ahead and say that because it's not fair because my friend is not getting the same as me simply because of my genitals and that's ridiculous yeah probably you know um i have had this conversation with somebody who was trans from female to male and they had the opposite where they walked into the... And they're fully trans, adults now. And they walked into the workplace, um, you know, just being them, being human. Mm. And then all of a sudden getting the pay packet and finding it is so much more. And just going... Well, obviously they didn't give it back. But they were just like, wow, this is this is real. This, mm. this is just because I've walked in and I'm a male. I'm getting more than if I had have walked in two or three years ago as a female yeah it's insane it is insane isn't it and one of the things i like about the trans community in whether it's about toxic masculinity whether it's about rape culture whether it's about the wage gap or or any um 
gender-related inequality is you're really flipping the switch. Yeah. Because it's getting so confusing that we have to answer, ask these questions and we have to go, well, hang on. There's the sport argument, right? Yeah. We've, good segue. If, is this person <laughs> an equal or, or physically or, you know? So what is your opinion about um, the recent law that was changed where if you trans after puberty, you cannot play in a sport if you're trans? I mean, I feel like um, there's there's probably like some like somewhat good argument to be made there, but I feel like that's just like kind of dumb because obviously, um, me if I like, I don't know, I tried not a sport, but I guess like playing the violin or something, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be as good as someone who was born a girl playing the violin with also absolutely no experience. Mm. There's no like, oh, I'm like born a guy, so obviously I would be better at playing the violin. No, mm. of course not. But there's a difference between a violin and a set of weights. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think in regards to certain sports, it is very relevant because yeah. your size, your speed, your um, strength. Mm. But I do have a friend who said... Um, most of the sports, it's irrelevant because you might get the tiniest little Chinese lady who, um, gym, gym, maybe gymnastics and stuff like that where it's not that relevant because a lot of people's um, adult size is relevant to the sport that they choose yeah. to use or the training that they've done to get to that. So you might have like a giant German woman that's been training her whole life and she could be in the same category as um, uh, a man in his 20s who's been training for three years and isn't quite as big. Mm. So it, it so therefore that belies the um, trans argument. Yeah. But if you're talking about really elite athletes, perhaps there could be, in my opinion, there could be different parameters like weight classes mm. as they do yeah. in, bo- in boxing and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the the biggest trans woman um, has to be in a certain weight class with other non-trans people. So maybe that could be a solution. Mm. I don't know. So thank you very much for coming on this podcast today, Rosa. I think we've really spoken of a a lot of really Mm. intense stuff. There was one thing that I had spoken to you previously about that we haven't touched on, which is... What do you think about the study that was done on people who chose not to trans for whatever reason, whether that was the law or they just chose not to um, during puberty, even though they might have if they could have when they were younger, and then they got to be adults, and so about 80% of those ended up being gay, and of that, um, about 70% or so chose not to do the gender reassignment. so what that kind of implicates is that a lot of people who are young thinking that they might want to be of a different gender it it has a lot to do with whom they're attracted to do you think there's any truth in that or not uh yeah i mean i guess if um they didn't realize that being gay was like a thing then um definitely they wouldn't know that being trans is a thing either. So mm-hmm. then they would have to be like, oh, well, I guess I just wish I was a boy or, or, or I was a girl. So then 
I could be in a relationship with them because obviously they don't think that straight is the like only option there. Yep. So, and I'm being afraid of perhaps being attracted to the same sex and mm. what that would look like having a life like that. It might yeah. seem more natural to them because they're only little. They don't understand the full nuances exactly. of life to think what it looks like to be okay to be a man in a in a gay relationship or a woman in a gay relationship so is it possible that um if society was more accepting of gay marriage and gay families a lot of younger people wouldn't be so attracted to becoming trans uh yeah there is definitely like some people out there who definitely think that's just how it works i guess yeah there could be a percentage. I'm not a child psychologist, but I'd like to, if there's anybody out there who is and would like to come in, then for sure we'll, we'd get them on and have a talk about that. But um, that's not, not really relevant for a lot of trans people because a lot of trans people are seeing themselves as pansexual, aren't they? Mm. Because And is that because um, trans people are not seeing gender in the same context of us and them. It's like kind of everybody's just a human. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter what you identify with. Hmm. What does matter? Well, I mean, obviously, like, it does for some people. Like, if you're bisexual or whatever, then I guess, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, obviously, if you're pan, then you you don't care at all. You're just attracted to the person rather than who they are. Yeah, and isn't that a beautiful world? Yeah. Yeah, all right. We'll leave you with that. And thank you for listening to Why Cold AD. Thank you, Rosa. You're very welcome. And we were brought to you by the Department of Communities and Justice, River FM and the Art House. Bye for now. This is the Why Cold AD podcast. My name is Rosa. Next, we have an interview with Josh Pike, hosted by Janelle Buckley from her radio show, The Art House. Hi, Josh. Thank you for calling into the Art House on River FM. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, lovely to be here. Yeah. So, where are you actually? Are you near Byron yet, or? No, no. I'm in. I'm in Sydney. I actually just flew in from Korea this morning, so I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit jet lagged, but um, but uh, just yeah, back from a holiday. I, I think I saw that on Facebook. Were you promoting one of your books? I, I was we went over for a holiday, um, and as a sort of aside or you know as an extra bonus, I um, reached out to the publisher of one of my kids' books over there. So um, yeah, did a bit of promotion for that as well. But yeah, main, mainly just eating really good food and seeing the sights. Ah, <laughs> oh, sounds like fun. Uh, so you have written a few interesting books. Slights out Leonard, but my favourite title is The Incredible Runaway Snot. Was that one of the ones produced in Korea? Uh, no. So the one that was out in Korea is uh, called Chattapus. Um, okay. It's called Chattapus in English, and I think it's called something like... Um, Something like the chatty, the chatty cat, or something. They, the direct translation was for the Korean audience. Yeah, cool. Oh, we're not really here to talk about your books today. We're here to promote your tour, coming uh, touring all around Australia, but coming to Byron in November, and it's called "To Find Happiness," and that's from your seventh album. You're going to be playing at the Great of uh, the Northern in Byron. And we're quite excited to have you. You will have been, what, halfway through your tour or almost finished by then? 
Uh, yeah, it'll be about halfway, I reckon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we should be a well-oiled machine by then. Oh, when, when you say we, I imagine, I assume you mean Haley Mary, who's going to be supporting you? Yeah, that's right. So, um, obviously, she is from Byron, as far as I know. But, yeah, so oh. Haley from the Jezebels um, is a solo artist in her own right. It's um, a fantastic solo, a couple of uh, solo EPs, and she's supporting on the whole so yeah we're going to play a few songs together as well yeah fabulous she's probably most well known recently for the song the piss the perfume which was um recently played on tv but i also like her song chemtrails over the country club which is a triple j like a version from lana del rey but um so you've got quite the career there you've been a composer for film and tv and you've also got something coming up on tv or is it just dropped tropo uh, Tropo, uh, Tropo came out um, earlier this year. Oh, actually, yeah. maybe even last year. It was uh, early this year. Um, was it this? Was it this year? Mm. <laughs> I lose track. Yeah. But uh, and then another show that I've worked on uh, called Mickey versus the World, which is on ABC Me, mm-hmm. came out last week, I think. So that's that's another one that I did all the music for, um, wrote all the songs for, and, and recorded them and everything. So yeah, yeah it's it's, a, it's another part of my career that I really really love yeah well i'm quite interested in that aspect of the career because we here at the art house have been funded by the department of communities and justice to do a youth project which is for podcasting and it's to address the gender disparity in the sound production part of the music industry for women and young girls it's actually uh, in australia it's as bad as um 97 male um dominated so where some of our um, participants, the young girls, are interested in transposing from radio and podcasting into film and television. So that'll be quite exciting for them. Have you got any advice for yeah, them? It's a good, um, it's, a, it's a highly competitive world. Like, yeah, I've, I've found that even me, who has a profile as, a, you know, as an artist, um, it's, it's quite a hard world to break into because... It's particularly in Australia, there's not uh, there's not heaps of work in that world. Um, most of the stuff that we view on television comes from overseas still to this day. So it's, yeah, it's a tough one to get into, but it's really really rewarding if you can if you can crack into it. Yeah, and even the same with live music, you very rarely see a female sound engineer behind the desk. That's true. Although I've got to say, in the last um, probably three years, I've noticed that changed um quite a lot yeah local venues like the great club in sydney um Mm. there's often female sound engineers there and i the last couple of festivals i played i was really struck by how many um female crew members there were as well and and band members session players and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. i don't know i think it's changing but 100 percent um there's still a a lot of work to be done. Yeah, and I think also from a regional perspective, that's massive because as you even said before, there's not many jobs um, and regionally there's often um, not any clubs. We here in Lismore just lost our last nightclub actually. Um, They're not going to come back as a nightclub post-flood. So we don't even have a venue anymore, let alone the, you know, three or four men that dominated that industry in this area. So it was very hard for regional women to get into that. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. People, yeah, very covetous of their positions once they have them. 
mm-hmm. which is, uh, yeah, makes it hard to break into for sure. And also there is the aspect of if um, women want to have children then, especially as a nighttime entertainment industry mainly, um, that that's hard to navigate around as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What I love about your career is that you have been very philanthropic and you have something called the JP Partnership. Is that ongoing? Is you still doing that? I am, yeah. I haven't done it this year. This year has been a bit of a, a, a tough one in terms of um, just timing, really. I've got this, this tour, which is, you know, it's 33 shows um, and I do all the judging and everything like all myself so usually there's over a couple of hundred entries mm-hmm. so this year i had to take a bit of a, a back seat with it but um i definitely had to to bring that back next year i've done it for six years in a row i think so mm-hmm. yeah hopefully we'll be back next year yeah well you must have been busting to get out on the road too after covid so that makes sense <laughs> yeah it's, it's a weird thing you know i think a lot of musicians will say this it's like um you kind of don't realise how much you miss something until you like actively can't do it. You know, you're restricted mm. from doing it. I, I've always loved touring, but at the same time, I've I've found it challenging over the years just being away from home, being away from family. Um, you know, I've got two kids, mm. and and being away from them um, is is hard as well. But then when you're actually forcibly unable to do something, you kind of realise what a big part of it a big part of your life it is and you know for me I've, I've toured really heavily for you know 20 years and I, it's actually a pretty big part of my identity so mm. I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back into it and kind of reconnecting with that that side of my life yeah well that sort of harks back to what i was just talking about before with the um gender disparity and how family um generally and present company excluded but if you do concentrate more on your uh career and you have a partner that's happy to be the major um child carer that seems to work out better for men but it doesn't seem to work out quite so well for women is there anything that you could say to your fellow gentlemen that could help say, a partner of a female performer to inspire them? Because I feel like that's the last bastion of feminism is to get men to want to spend less time in their careers and more time looking after their children and therefore giving women more chance to look after or concentrate on their careers. Would Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? What are your opinions on that? Look, I, I mean, for, for me, it was, you know, my... My wife has always worked full time as well, and mm-hmm. I, I found that being a performer um, actually allowed me to be kind of a stay-at-home dad for a, a lot of the time, um, mm-hmm. because you know the the job does require you to tour. But then when you're not touring, you know you're at home. You're basically at home all the time. Yeah. Um, so I think you know it can be really flexible in a way. Um, but as you say, for a female performer whose partner might work in a more traditional job, um, you know, it might be harder for them to kind of find that balance. Mm. It's, it's hard as well because, you know, the realities of touring and being a performer is that it's, you know, the, I think it's the statistic is there's only like, I think like 6% of musicians, um, or it might even be less, but the, the statistic is, you know, it's like a very small percentage of musicians actually make a living, a full-time living from being a musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, at, at times 
whoever the musician is, whether it's a male or a female, it might not always be realistic for for the non-performer to take a backseat um, yeah. career-wise because their families can't afford to eat. Mm. Um, so that's tough as well. But I mean, I know from my own experience with um, friends of mine like Alana Stone, who's a, a fabulous musician and um, and also you know a, a, a mum of of a now just over one year old, um, she just did a six week tour of Europe with um, John Butler and her partner Joel um, stayed at home with their baby and and you know he has a full time job and they just made it work. So I think it's I think there are ways to make it work and I think you're absolutely right. It comes down to the the actual desire to to make that work and to be the supportive partner of your of your spouse, you know, whether they're a musician or, or anything else, really, it comes down to communication within the relationship, I guess. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. Let's talk about to find happiness. You said um, make it work. It's the, uh, I think that's a good segue to this quote that you said about your song, To Find Happiness. It's not a song about being happy. It's about the fact that we are rarely happy, but there are good things out there if you make the effort to look for them. And so expand on that in regards to not only your song find happiness but the tour what's what's the real impetus behind all that well i I just think yeah i mean i think it's there's a whole i don't know it's particularly on social media there's a whole thing of like you know sort of selling happiness and selling this idea that everybody should be happy all, all the time and that if you're not happy and if you're not like sort of achieving these goals and you know hitting these benchmarks and or you know appearing to be super happy in your in your social media stream or that you're that you're that you're failing and i just think it's it's a really unrealistic it's kind of like you know um it's the, the same thing that social media has always done which is sell a version of life that is quite unattainable for the majority of people right mm-hmm. and i think that's the same with happiness and i yeah. just don't think you know from all the things that I've read and lived in my life, you know, happiness is fleeting. It's a, it's a thing that, it's a feeling that happens rarely once in a while you feel that actual full joy. And the rest of the time, you know, the best we can hope for is to feel content and satisfied and stable and, you know, magnanimous Mm -hmm. um, towards our fellow humans, you know? Oh yeah. I'm Um, so glad you said that because, um, well, A, if you didn't have, if you had happiness all the time, it would just be the status quo. You wouldn't know what happiness is without sadness. But you mentioned uh, the screens and my next point here was youth screen addiction because we just spoke to the young girls about that with Why Cult ID. That's the podcast, Youth Cultural Identity. And that was a massive aspect of the, um, not only that push for constant happiness and the body image stuff but also how socialization has become so very difficult and you said make the effort to look for them um make the effort to Mm. look for um friends in real life i think is relevant yeah i mean it's uh, it's it's definitely concerning and baffling to me as a you know i'm 44 Mm -hmm. um and you know certainly this sort of you know, selling of a of a image or a particular you know you know cultural sort of norm or uh, aspirational cultural norm has been something that's been around forever. You know, we all remember 
you know, Dolly and Cosmo and all these magazines mm-hmm. when we were kids. Um, and now it's just transferred onto social media, except that it's just so much more prevalent and everybody does it, you know, and even the sort of, um, the wellness and, and mental health, um, social media accounts, even they seem to be flogging some kind of version of mental health and, and, uh, wellness or whatever that is just, is, unachievable for most people you know yeah and And, that addictive um, clickbait in order to that have that constant happiness which is just it's not real 100 i mean it's it's like an actual you know you you actually are releasing endorphins and dopamine Mm -hmm. every time you you click on these links that's so true josh and what about the youth the screen addictions and especially for young girls as well there's that body image stuff but then it also goes into all sorts of dark areas which we don't need to get into but what I would like to say about some of your songs that I've earmarked from this tour to find happiness is that are relevant to these concepts a town that you've never been to um, which was mixed in Byron and the local singer Yolanda Kun is that how you say it uh, I can't, I think, yeah. And your wife and kids are in that one. And also the song Your Heart Won't Always Weigh a Ton. And I think th- – and then there's one that's – oh, that's right. It says in one of these songs, a wounded girl, and then goes on to say, when you feel like no one hears you. These these concepts in your music are very much relevant for sort of teenage girls. Can you can you explain how you came to that? Um, well, I think it's – I think art is always – you know the the great thing about art is that it's it's open to interpretation. Um, you know I can say hand of my heart that I definitely didn't didn't write these songs with the aim of um, specifically speaking to teenage girls. But mm-hmm. I but but that's sort of the thing that I've always loved about writing songs is you know trying to trying to present or communicate things that are happening in the world. Um, or happening in my own life in a way that's universal enough that, that everybody might find something in it that's relevant to them, you know. And I've, I've had people come up to me and and tell me that, you know, songs in the past, are, you know, like, they're like, oh, my God, it's like you were writing exactly about my relationship with, you know, with my father, you know, who just mm-hmm. passed away. We played the song at his funeral, and, and it's incredibly touching and moving for me to hear that stuff. Um, but, of course, you know, I... I wasn't writing the song about this person's father. Um, mm. So I think it's it's just, I take it as a, you know, I kind of take it as the, the highest form of compliment and the, the highest sort of level of achievement I can, I can get to as a songwriter that people would find relevant in mm. my songs and, you know, my lyrics in their own lives. But that, to me, that's kind of like mission accomplished. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, it's the human predicament. But the fact that you wrote A Wounded Girl and then when you feel like no one hears you, that's pretty much the catchphrase of how our whole Why Cult ID uh, impetus, if you will, because young girls especially uh, feel like no one hears them, like their opinion is lesser in the world mm. to, you know, um, 
older men and white men and all of the other um, stereotypical ideologies we can throw in there. But to offer, it's changing though, once again, and to offer women and young girls that voice is, you know, my privilege in my life. So I just wanted to touch base with you about that and, and your lyrics. And then possibly, I won't put you on the spot, but down the track through your um, producers or what have you, touch base about um, future collabs w- with the young girls and some of your lyrics, if we can, um, you know, sound bites and stuff like that. But um we won't go into that now. I will say goodbye because it has been a very long time. Uh, there's only one other thing that I wanted to mention to you uh, in regards to what I've, the research I've done and and the local area, the region, because it is a regional tour. We here in Lismore, I don't know if you know this, but we have a flash mob where they do Wuthering Heights uh, every oh, really? year. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, considering you in 2007 you did a cover of that one and then the popularity of it just went gangbusters with Stranger Things, would you consider coming to the Wuthering Heights uh, flash mob one time? (laughs) I I would certainly consider it. (laughs) You definitely put me on the spot, but um, (laughs) let's say that I would happily consider it. Yeah, we'd well, <laughs> have to wear a red dress as well. So, um, yeah, <laughs> and and also I'll just say goodbye and next time you're talking to Phil Jameson, say hi to him for, for me from Janelle. Okay, I will do. All right, thank you so much, Josh. It's been such a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. So, Janelle, we've just listened to your interview with, with musician Josh Pike from, from Midway Through last year. How do you think that went for you? Yeah, it was really good. It was quite a privilege. Um, He's probably up there in the top 10 most famous people I've been able to interview thus far in my career. And, you know, what do you think? Was it a good interview? I think, yeah, it was definitely uh, successful. You uh, got your questions answered and uh, we got to learn a little bit more about his point of view on things. Yeah, and of course I've come from it with a lens as an older woman who's passionate about women and young girls and issues relating to that, having lived that life and felt like when I was younger I didn't have a voice or even if I did nobody was listening or my voice didn't matter. So for Josh to respond so delicately as he did as an older white man, I thought that that was just beautiful too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, we here at White Call ID have been funded by the Department of Communities and Justice to address the gender disparity in the sound production industry, and you spoke to Josh about how this looks from his perspective. He said it looks kind of promising, as there's more women behind sound desks and music production in general. Have you also been noticing this change? Yeah, so not as much, because we're here regionally. So I also do a thing apart from the Art House, Waikult ID and Party People at B-Space now. I uh, do a festival called Raw Women's Music Festival. And so whilst that was pre-COVID and we haven't been able to do one since because of flood basically, um, back then, I, I know that's three years ago, but I had to outsource to Brisbane to be able to get a female sound engineer for that festival. But as Josh mentions in that interview, he's seen a lot more women at festivals doing those jobs. So, yeah, I think it takes a lot of time in regional areas for those ideologies to slip, have slippages from the city to us. Um, but he was correct that 
a lot of men do covet those very small jobs and uh, can be quite, I don't know if vicious is the word, but it's very difficult for women and young girls to get into those industries. And another thing I've noticed too that's different about uh, women compared to, or young women compared to young men is that they really do like to socialise. And so being a sound engineer, whether that's editing in a small room or behind a desk in a large festival, it's really a solo job. It's not something you can do. Maybe you could do it in pairs, but you can't really do it in a group. Of course, there's um, networking and marketing at a large festival where you've got the, to um, not only associate with the lighting and, of course, all the people on the stage. There's that aspect, which is social. But especially when you're talking about sound production from a studio point of view, girls don't generate towards that when they're younger because they just want to hang out with each other and, and talk. And So that's what I've found, um, especially at B-Space, the girls don't really want to edit because it's boring, whereas young boys will be quite happy to sit in front of a computer by themselves for hours on end. So that's one mm-hmm. thing that I've noticed that might be relative towards the um, gender disparity anyway. Right. Mm. Uh, in the interview, you'd both talked a little about the impact of social media and its effects on happiness and body issues that specifically target young women and girls. Do you think that you personally have been affected by this? Oh, definitely. Um, Well, you pulled that one out of left and centre. I thought you were going to say something else. Good on you, Rosa. You made it about me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think when Josh mentions the word unattainable, in fact, I've written it down, so I might as well just quote him. Um, The same thing that social media has always done, which is sell a version of life which is quite unattainable. And whilst he was talking about happiness, and of course that's relative to me, or anyone really, it's the human predicament, but um, in regards to body issues, there has been a shift over the last couple of decades. For instance, I mentioned, I think it's earlier in this podcast actually, we mentioned that right up to the 50s, the body image was voluptuousness you know the Marilyn Monroe type tiny waist um, and you know hourglass figure but then that shifted through the 60s and 70s into a more skinny tall twiggy type look which is great for people if they have that look but everybody's bodies are so different that it's really quite cruel the way that media and marketing and social media targets a specific type to the point where we've now got so much body morphication. Um, The Kardashians, you know, with the big lips, the big hips, the butt and tiny little waist, like that's not even attainable in real life, let alone um, for everybody. So, yeah, I would just like to see a world in which healthy is good. Obviously, you don't want to start going so right of centre that being obese is the next new trend of beauty or whatever as long as you're healthy and happy um sometimes happy not always happy then um yeah that's what i would like to see because on a personal level when i was younger i was thinner so i didn't really feel as though i was unattractive but i also didn't feel that i was up to model standard and and sometimes that No, it didn't upset me at all, actually. What am I talking about? I was so much more interested in 
technology or, or studying or, or photography or art or music. Uh, that's what I concentrated on, so it didn't worry me so much. But And also social media, of course it existed, I'm not that old, but um, we didn't have the smartphones. So it wasn't constant, always in your face. It was magazines like um, Josh Pike said, you know, Dolly and Cosmo and those kind of things have always existed. Um, so yeah, it's um, I feel for you guys at this age. And can I throw it back to you? Yeah, of because course. from a trans lens, what does that feel like for you? Or that um, body image stuff. Yeah, it kind of uh, about the same really, but just like there's also the whole concept, I guess, of passing and having to. Um, I get a lot of people take passing as not looking more masculine or more feminine but just looking attractive as well which mm -hmm. isn't what it is at all but a lot of people seem to think that is the case when it, it doesn't really matter what you look like uh, it's just do you look feminine or masculine really so if you've put on fishnet stockings and a nice little skirt and you're looking all adorable right You've obviously, I know as a woman, you've done that to make yourself feel good. But there are some people in the community who are of the, in my opinion, wrong opinion, that you've done that for attention. And so therefore, if they give you that attention, whether it's a wolf whistle or whatever, that's what you're looking for? Yeah. Do you think that's the case? Uh, and how do you feel if that was to happen to you? Um, a couple months ago at this point I had traveled to Indonesia and a couple of times I had been catcalled yep. and rather as finding it like disgusting I guess obviously like most people would because mm -hmm. it is um I kind of laughed it off and I found it funny yeah yeah as well as just being like oh I guess I look like a woman so then I feel good about myself okay so you actually were a little bit flattered yeah right okay and see that's the problem because some people are flattered and that's their right and some people are so like I don't know affected by that I, I it doesn't happen to me anymore but when I was younger I remember that happening to me and just it would put me into such a headspin of feeling like an object like they haven't even bothered to come up and ask me my name or what I'm interested in that I'm just this piece of meat walking along the street that deserves to be whistled at and uh, anyway I had the opposite reaction but to each their own and I'm sorry guys if you're listening to this podcast out there that that just confuses you more <laughs> can't help you yeah. yeah okay what's the next question um you said that stay-at-home dads are the last bastion of feminism. Uh, would you mind elaborating more about this? Yeah, so there's been, well, I believe, four waves of feminism now. So it started, of course, with the right to vote. And then there was, um, in the 50s, there was the Roe versus Wade, which unfortunately has been um, overturned in America, but we've still got you know agency to our own bodies here in Australia um but yeah so body agency I think was the second and then there was the sexual revolution I think that um centered around the pill and then the fourth one I believe has to do with sex workers and um prostitution or only fans whatever it is is that there's a sort of a split between 
some feminists believing that women should have the right to make money off their bodies and others going, oh, okay, well, um, is that good for society as a whole? Is, is it still objectification? And, and why does that exist? Because it's an economic reality. I'm of that point of view, not that I'm trying to sh shame anyone because if that's what they're into, that's fine. But, but understanding to some degree the way the world works from an economic point of view, I think it's really um, a byproduct of the way that we've women have been sort of streamlined into that trajectory to be that way and I disagree with that economic part of it. Also, um, that's relevant to the stay-at-home dad stuff because, as Josh mentioned, somebody might have the best intentions in terms of equality and they do want to address the gender disparity but it comes down to economy and the reality is men do get paid more and so therefore that they're going to go out and do the jobs, which therefore the women stay behind and look after the kids, even though the dad might not even want to. So that's kind of like a um, self-fulfilling prophecy where it just keeps going and around and around. And until such time we have equal pay and also um, models like the French model, for instance, where men get paternity leave just as long as women do um, and also we have... 30-hour weeks instead of 40-hour weeks or whatever so that the uh, the jobs are done by both parents but they still get to have time together alone with their kids. So this model that childcare needs to be cheaper and you, you ship your kids off to some sort of institution whilst we go both go off and work, I, I just I don't agree with that. I think that children need to be around, around both of their parents. And I think most people these days, back in the day, dudes would say, oh, no, we don't want to be hang around our kids because they're annoying. And that narrative's got to shift because that makes children feel lesser, like their dad doesn't love them, causes all sorts of systemic problems down the track. So I love that uh, Josh mentioned as a musician because he doesn't make that much money that he does stay at home a lot and his wife goes out and works. I think that's beautiful. But, yeah, a little bit of balance for both would be nice. Mm. And musicians getting paid more as well. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah, especially female musicians. Mm. Yeah, so hmm. that's about all I have to say about that. Yeah, cool. cool. That was good. Thank you. You're very welcome. And how meta was it, Rosa, that you were interviewing me about an interview? <laughs> yeah. And this is the first time I've been interviewed. I mean, yeah, it's that's a change. It is a change. It's usually my job, but thank you. You did very well. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Do you yeah. want to sign off with this has been Why Cult ID? Uh, yeah, this has been Why Cult ID uh, for River FM and The Outhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, Brought to you by the Department of Communities uh, Justice. Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. Bye. Goodbye.